So anyway, we're talking about the covenant thing. So the covenant, what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement that God has made with mankind. There are a number of covenants in the Bible whereby God, he kind of um, gives you the opportunity to go into an agreement with him whereby he'll say, hey, <clears throat> I'll do this, this, and this, but you've got to do this, this, and this in order for uh, me to do what I'm going to do. So if you are a Christian, you have entered into a covenant relationship with God. And um, we've looked at, um, over the last couple of weeks, the fact that um, faith is, uh, sorry, covenant is based on faith. The faith that you believe that God is telling you what he's telling you, and then you believe it, and then you make a decision to follow it through by doing things and taking on board your obligation in order to receive whatever God is promising. Um, we looked at the Abrahamic covenant, and it says, can we flick it up, Genesis fifteen six, in the NIV. It says this, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. See, when you believe God, it puts you in a position to be credited by God some kind of promise. When Abram at this particular instant in his life believed what God had said, and it says that, you know, basically in the language that he amened to God, that it put him in a position to, to, credit, to be in credit. And that he became righteous because he simply believed God. Now this covenant of belief in God and the transference from you and I being people who are maybe broken, mixed up, dysfunctional and, you know, messy, credits us with a thing called righteousness. And that covenant made way back then was actually, has continued right through to today. When um, Jesus came to the planet, he said, I am the new covenant. He was fulfilling this covenant promise God had made with Abraham. And then for you as a Christian, you have had to come to a point where you hear this message of God. You, and you have to understand you are a sinner. You are dysfunctional, which is a word I'm going to use a bit more. So you are broken. You have made mistakes. And you believe the fact that God has said you are a sinner. And then what happens? You believe, you confess, and you receive, and you are credited with the same righteousness that Abram was credited with. You understand what I'm saying? So God is not some, some kind of God that sort of does this, then changes his mind, and, and then changes it to that. He's a God that has taken mankind on a journey of truth, of understanding the power of believing him, of putting him where he belongs in our life, and that this aspect that the world has been in a sinful state as a result of the fall way back in the garden, and that we are needing to deal with our dysfunction or our unrighteousness or our sinful state. And you can't do it by yourself. You cannot become this holy, righteous person. You might think you are, but you ain't. And you've got to believe that you're a sinner. You're with me? So I kind of want to take us on that journey a little bit deeper. So, and I want to change the word sin, not because I don't believe sin is, um, you know, we shouldn't go near there, but I just want you to think about sin as this idea of you are dysfunctional. 
The world is dysfunctional. The world is not functioning the way God designed it to be. Dysfunction is to uh, not be functioning the way you're meant to function. Understand? Sin has made us dysfunctional. With me? Now remember, sometimes I talk about things that are above my pay grade, so I need you to tell me if you're getting it. Now I hear an amen. Can I hear an amen? So dysfunction. Right, number one, sin is breaking God's moral code or law. Sin, dysfunction, dysfunction in the modern psychology language. Where are we over there, Ruth? You might want to correct me. Um, We have a, a psychologist amongst us, Ruth. Very bright lady, very helpful lady. Um, some of you need to go to her. No, I'm joking. Or maybe you do. Um, modern psychology, um, when it talks about family dysfunction, abnormal or unhealthy interpersonal behavior or interaction within a family group. So in the eyes of that kind of language, and then um, I'm going to give you a definition of biblical dysfunction. To not function right. Failing to think, speak, act in the way we were designed by God. Cool? Do I have an amen? Right. Now I want to move into the New Testament. Oh no, hold on. Remember we've looked at this Abraham thing. So Abraham is called by God. God's got a plan for Abraham and for the generations that will flow out of this man that a great nation is going to come out of Abraham's seed. And this nation is called to represent God to the rest of the world to show them who God is and the way to God. Right? So along comes Abram, and this is a highly dysfunctional family. If you read through, they are a pretty messy crowd, but God chose them and God was going to bless them. You know, the, the, the key to the blessing wasn't them trying to be good. The key to them was believing whatever God said and trying to do it. And so along comes his uh, grandson, whose name was Jacob. Jacob, whose name means the deceiver. Then on the journey of this great nation becomes and given a name called Israel. And the the nation of Israel comes from the grandson's seed of Abraham called Jacob. Now the dysfunction was still in Jacob when God called him to Israel. And God needed to sort out the dysfunction. And see, then what happens is Israel goes into Egypt and uh, living under the Egyptian rule for several hundreds of years. And um, then God sets them free. Uses a guy named Moses. And then Moses enters in, or God presents another covenant. And we call it the Mosaic Covenant. The Ten Commandments. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? Remember, go back to this thing. He's got a plan through history to develop a nation and a people and to deal with dysfunction. And he gets these people who are highly dysfunctional and he takes them on a journey and he says, you're going to be a nation, Israel. Israel goes into Egypt and the dysfunction has increased in actual fact because they're living under the influence and the custom of Egypt. And then they come back and he puts them in a position where I've got to show these people that they are dysfunctional because they had lost sight of right and wrong. And see, people who are dysfunctional, the only way you're going to deal with your dysfunction is to recognize you are dysfunctional and you need to know right and wrong. Are you with me? 
See, God's not some kind of, yeah, we'll try this one or that one. He's, he's this calculated, incredibly wise, profound, loving creator that has taken mankind on a journey. So the Mosaic uh, covenant is brought into play, showing people that they are, here's the rules, friend, and you're not making it. You get me? Because he has to deal with dysfunction. Now let's move into the New Testament. I just, why am I trying to kind of start from here and bring you to there? Because the Bible talks about this thing called precept upon precept, truth upon truth, line upon line. And I, I just love this aspect of what I get to do because it always amazes me the cr- incredible creator mind, this intellect that we still are trying to understand and learn about. But the more you dig in, the more you realize how amazing and incredible he is and how he so much is investing in us. Amen. Okay, let's move into the uh, 1 John. Written by the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He's the guy that talked about the disciple. He described himself as the disciple God loved. You know, he was the one that said he would rest his head on the chest of Jesus. You know, it's like, I mean, if Terry came to me one day and said, man, Keith, I just want to rest my head on your chest, I would be concerned. (laughs) But you know, um, it's kind of funny, but this guy, as a man, could say to the rest of mankind, I'm the one who wanted to put my head against the chest of Jesus. I'm the one that I want to be near the heartbeat of my Savior. Quite amazing kind of a statement, you know? Because men, you know, I remember when they started, there was a song that came out that was like, you know, and the men had to say, I'm your bride. And I, I just couldn't say it. I just felt, I'm not the bride, I'm the, I'm the groom, man. You know, and it's kind of like these cultural things that are weird for us. And you, you think about this guy who got to the point where he so, he had a revelation of his need to rest on the chest of Jesus. Quite amazing. Anyway, that was a free one for you. And he speaks, and I love this. Let, let me read it to you first. So um, can we flick up 1 John chapter 1, 5 through to 10 in the New King James Bible. Um. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. That is amazing. See, this is an eyewitness account of the man who put his head on the chest of Jesus and heard the heartbeat of the Messiah. And not only that, he was an eyewitness and was there with everything he said and everything he did. Eyewitness account. And he's not speaking because he's one smart cat. He was a dumb fisherman. Which is maybe a step up from a dumb builder. I don't know. A dumb tennis coach. No, no. You know, Greg, I've got to tell you. You know, he preached that great message about... um, you know, offense. And that came out of one day we were talking about it and I thought I might have offended him. I said, mate, I'm sorry if I've offended you. He said, ha ha ha. I'm the hardest person you could find to offend. So I'm on this journey of pushing that. <laughs> testing. And I invite you to join the journey. <clears throat> I 
Anyway, sorry. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's a huge connection with fellowship with one another, with walking in the light or walking in the darkness. Got to tell you, but that's another message. Um, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. It's quite interesting. If we say that we don't have dysfunction, if we don't get to the point where we realize, friend, I am dysfunctional, I am broken in some way, shape or form, and I've been doing some stuff and breaking the moral code of God or some way, shape or form. See, one of the big deals about the moral code that God gave was to help a community live in relationship with each other without us busting each other up. Understand? So if you are a person who does not get to the point where you realize, friend, you have some broken bits that you've got to fix, you are actually in a place of darkness. Interesting. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Friend, you cannot be in relationship with people until you realize you're actually dysfunctional. Which is very profound because I am a human being that has learnt the skill of recognising the dysfunction in others. And I can look at people and say, whoa, 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 you know, but I am still on the journey of being a person who realises, friend, I'm in the same grouping. I'm as broken and busted and as dumb as the people I can see it in their lives. Now, I've been married for a while. And um, you know when you go into a marriage, and we've been doing um, Marcus and Taylor's marriage, and I, I, quite, I like because I get to see inside people's world, and you don't probably realize, but I'm looking a bit. Because I want to see if, you know, the dysfunction of Terry and Sharon has got to you guys. No, no, no. But you know, I've been married a long time. And... Uh, you know, and one of the things I watch with people when they get married and that's all nice and, oh, darling, I love you, and they say the vows and it's just beautiful. But then they do the journey of life and they realize this person that they love is actually dysfunctional. And then they go on the journey of not only seeing it, but have to face it every day. And it is very easy when you're in that kind of thing and on the journey that you see theirs, but you don't see your own. And that is so dangerous. Because we try to shape this person to something we think they should be. And really, truly, you should put the energy into making you something you should be. You know, you with me? I'm going to tell you a story later about my dysfunction. Anyway. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 is just the most wonderful scripture. If we confess our sins, remember our dysfunction, he is faithful 
And he is just to forgive our dysfunction and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the word unrighteousness mean? See, it kind of can have like this religious connotation, righteous, unrighteous, whatever. But kind of basically the word unrighteous means to be, you know, he will forgive you and cleanse you from the wrong bits that are in your life. From the parts of you that are breaking this incredible intellectual mind's uh, insight into good and bad. So when the Bible says that you are unrighteous, it's basically saying, friend, you're wrong. Wake up. You're wrong. You got it wrong. You're doing wrong. Slap, slap. And like I said in marriage, you've got to realize in marriage, sometimes you're not right, you're wrong. And sometimes you telling your partner they're wrong all the time is actually the worst thing ever because you've got to get yourself, not the other one, to be right. You with me? I love the language of the Bible, but sometimes you've got to bring it into the new kind of understanding of what words mean. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins, our dysfunction. <clears throat> I've got some water somewhere. Someone grab it for me. I have to get, where is it? Oh, yeah, see? I was wrong because I thought Travis hadn't got it up there. Sorry, Travis, I was wrong. I questioned you. When I don't get a lot of sleep. Sorry. Uh, Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Really, man, that's crazy. So here's the thing. You're a a non-believer and, you know, most of us here hopefully have come to the point where we go, you know what, man, I need this saviour. I need to put my head on his chest. I need to feel the heartbeat of my saviour. I need to take on board and believe, yes, I am in a mess and I need help. I am broken, that's confessing your sin. And then when you, as a Christian, you go through this process of saying, God, I'm a sinner and I accept you, and you confess your sin, there's an incredible transaction that happens between you and God. You get cleansed. And the word cleansed basically means purify. You're made pure. And I've got to tell you, when I did that, a huge load came off my life. And I just felt free. True? But here's the funny old thing, and I want to answer the question. You become this Christian, you're on this journey where you're taking responsibility, but then there's still a bit of that dysfunction. There's still a bit of this old sin kind of thing, and you stuff up. Nobody here does. Because I want to ask you the question, do you only need to do that once? Do you sort of do it at the beginning, and it's all good, and then you do this journey with God? Or are there moments... When you actually are still dysfunctional and you've got to bend this little old knee, Jesus, I blew it again. Because there are people who teach that once you've done it, you're done. Sorry. Either that or I'm just one messy dude. And see, that's why it says in the next chapter an interesting statement. Because you can kind of view this that, you know, I blew it, I'm in dark, I'm a dark person, I'm not in the light. But friend, you're just, 
and transference from dark to light and there's bits that just out of that dark bit want to raise its head again. And I love uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, my little children, my little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. See, God does not want you to keep being dysfunctional. And the Bible and there are things and truths in there that are trying to guide you out of your dysfunction. True? But you are, you can't do it on your own. And then it says this. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Dude, you're not the righteous one. Stop pointing the finger as if you are and face up that you have got some broken bits and you've got to keep facing it and being honest and stop blaming everybody else. And a bit of the old humility, confession. I reckon that's why God may be your pastor. Because he had to get the, well, probably the most, you know, one of the bro- real broken ones. And you're like, you know, what the hell is this guy, man? You know? Because he can say, you know, he can, his blood covers even the stupidest, dumbest people. Admitting your fault to God and others. You know, man, I've been doing this for a while. And we have seen and been involved with a lot of people's lives. And you know, sometimes in the pastoral care aspect of life, people come to us because of the dysfunction is making a mess around them. And I have come to the conclusion that I am wasting my time with people who come to me and all their life's problems are because of someone else. Because they have not understood the truth. That friend, you are broken and you are dysfunctional and some of what's happening in your world is because you have been doing some stupid stuff. See, sin is doing the stupid stuff. It's not some kind of religious word. It's come from an intellect that is incredibly powerful. And that's why I'm trying to bring it into this modern term of dysfunction. I know Ruth would agree with me because she can't get up and say anything else. You can't help someone who won't actually be honest. You can't help a marriage where people aren't being honest. You can't help brokenness where people won't face up. That's why God had to get us to understand, to bring us on the path of becoming these incredible people, that friend, face up, be honest. Take a look in the mirror. Amen. Amen. Now, this is a real good one. Because I haven't stopped beating up yet. Hey, Brody. Like the haircut. Colour's nice. Might try it myself. What's that? What are you laughing for? I have six hairs. <laughs> 1 John 1 8. Through to 10, I'm going to read it to in the message. There are some people that don't like the message. You know, whatever. A guy named Eugene Patterson translated the Bible into some modern language to try and get us to understand some incredible truths, basically. You know, I love the New King James or the King James, all good. 
being okay, God, not kind of speak, you know, whatever. Anyway, that would have offended somebody, I'm sure. Um, if we claim that we, we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, our dysfunction, uh, if we admit our dysfunctions, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our dysfunction and purge us from all wrongdoing. If we claim we have never had any dysfunction or are not still a little bit dysfunctional, sorry I added that in, we're out and out contradicting Contradicting the mind of God. You what? You what? I mean, that is so blinking arrogant. We who think that we are smarter than the intellect of the universe would dare to say, no, you're wrong, I'm just perfect. Friend, you are a fool. I'm working hard to annoy he will forgive us our sins and purge us from all wrongdoing. If we claim that we have never sinned, we are out and out contradicting God, making a liar out of him. A claim that only shows off our ignorance of God. That's quite, you know, you know. We are broken, but we're getting fixed. I'm way not as broken as it was way back then. But you know, there are some little bits, ask Jerusha, Karen Ryan, Travis, don't ask the wife because she will really download. But friend, <laughs> anyway, I've got to tell you a story. I'm married, as I said. The other day, you know, we were doing your guys, um, Marcus and Taylor's premarital thing, so was, we were at church. And I need to get all the paperwork and I need to make sure I had all the info and, you know, your birth certificates and all that. And I knew we'd done it together. And uh, my memory of it was that Pekka had it. So I go down to Pekka's office and say, hey, I need the paperwork for this because I want to put it all together and, you know, try and be professional. And um, she says, no, I gave it to you. Oh, no, you didn't. And I said, you're going to have to say really, really sorry because I know I gave it to you. And it got a little bit warmed up. Just a little bit warmed up. As I said, I'm sorry I'm your pastor. Um, and then, um, oh, no, 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 you know, just a bit of heat out and cheat. So we went through office and it's not there. And oh, well, it must be at home. You must put it at home. And I thought, oh, I'm just better double check. I'll go out to my office. And I'm looking, no, not there, not there. And we have a marriage registry book. And sure enough, tucked into the little red marriage registry book was a, was a folder. And I'm thinking, I'll go home. I'll just hide it. Put it somewhere. Oh, here it is. <laughs> this is honest to God. Oops. And um, I'm coming down the stairs with the file. And I did, she was already out of her office. And she sees it in my hand. <laughs> and she goes, is that the file? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, honey, I'm so sorry. You know. 
But yet there was a war in me to own it. Of course, you're not like that, are you? Oh, you'll see your faces. See, and I, you know, I reckon God must laugh at us sometimes. You know, I apologised to my wife and I had to be on the best behaviour for the rest of the night. You know, which, it's hard. God sets a pattern for mankind that doesn't tie you up and rob you, friends. God sets a pattern and a way to live life that actually sets us free and brings hope and light and brings blessing. And I'm so sad that so many relationships are robbed of the joy of the design of God because we tend to point our fingers at each other. So many churches are destroyed by people who are full of judgment and just want to point the finger at each other. So many marriages end in disaster. You know, I'm good at arguing. And I'm married to someone who's maybe not as smart as that. And I can remember earlier on You know, because I'm really good at arguing, I can make something sound, you know, and because my wife, I mean, she is the most, she's a loving, kind woman, a little bit stuck, no, I didn't say that, but, um, and I, I can remember earlier on in my relationship that there would be something and she would have some kind of opinion about it, and because I was really good at arguing, I could shut that down, and I could just pull the pin out of it. But I learned that was just dumb. Because what you do, if you are someone in a marriage and you are a person who is really good at arguing and you're maybe married to someone that ain't good at that and you can tend to turn something that is wrong into right, friend, you are looking for trouble. And see, what happens is in marriages when that kind of behavior happens is resentment builds up. And one day that ugly face of resentment will raise its head. I mean... Dysfunctional. But you know, I mean, I'm still, you know, got that ugly bit. But I got a master who's teaching me how to face up. And I'm telling you, I've dealt with people, and there is no, there's very little way we can help people who think the world is the problem and they ain't done nothing wrong. Ever met someone? who never says sorry, ever met someone who you're kind of in some kind of relationship with and all they do is pull other people down and all they do is never say sorry. That is horrible. I'm pausing right now because Graham Stevens said to me last Sunday, Keith, you know when you pause, it's really good. Because people stop and think, oh, what's he going to say next? But sometimes I pause because I don't really know what I'm going to say next. But anyway, Graham, I'm, I'm trying it. Did it work? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Walking in the light. 
The Bible talks a lot about walking in the light and about walking in the darkness and about when you're walking in the darkness, that's kind of like the bad space, but when you're walking in the light, that's the best space because God is perfect light and in him there is no shadow of turning. So when you're in darkness, you are away from the light, the perfect light, and where the freedom and all the good stuff lies. But when you get back into that kind of dark place where you deceive yourself in thinking you ain't got wrong, you ain't in the place of freedom. You're in the place of destroying and being destructive. See, walking in the light, my friend, is not being perfect because you can't and only he can and faith in him credits us with righteousness and then we get strength from him to be transformed. You get me? So my message this morning is, friend, you are dysfunctional. If you are a pointer of the finger, stop it. Stop it. Because that's why God had to slap the scribes and Pharisees. And that's the ones that he really turned his back and just kicked their buttons. The Bible says he draws near to the humble but resists the proud. When you are in a spirit of pride, thinking you're the best on the planet and everybody else, friend, you are in a place, in fact, where it says God will resist you. He will resist you. Man, who wants to be in a place like that? Give me a amen. All good. Paul wrote this as I finish. Did I give you the scriptures, Zach, in 2 Corinthians 9 through to 10? And I'll kind of, I'm not finished with this. I want to go a bit deeper, you know, the next next time I'm up here. Because there's so many amazing twists and turns with this whole stuff. Um, The Apostle Paul, an incredible man, wrote this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through to 10. But he said to me, Paul was saying to God, God, I've got a thorn in my flesh. There's something that is just a pain in the butt. You know, there's a thorn in me. And he's coming to God and saying, why haven't you taken it away? Why, what's going on? And God's response to him is this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all, this is Paul, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. See, that's just amazing. Because friend, your weakness, and when you own it, and when you acknowledge it, and when you admit it, you are putting yourself in a position where God can work with you, and your weakness will be turned into strength through his power. Do you understand? See that God is not confused. He's consistent. His answers are incredible. His way is the way. And don't be frightened to confess your weakness. Own it when you stuff up. Say sorry to God, but say sorry to the community around you that you hurt. Say sorry to the ones you love the most. And you are positioning the weakness and the trouble and whatever thing you're going through to get him to intervene and bring his power and his strength. 
Hallelujah. Join with me as we pray. You know, Jesus, creator, author of the new covenant, the one who spilt the blood for the ones who needed to be made righteous, who you love so dearly, who even allow to rest their heads on your chest and feel your heart. This morning I pray for the hearers. That Holy Spirit, there would come a new strength and a new courage and a new recognition of honesty where we would own our mistakes, where we would own our dysfunction, we would stop blaming others. And Lord, that we would receive forgiveness and being made pure. And then God, power from heaven can bring that transformation. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.